you know, we say that voting is the new six pack. <laughs> you know, that status is what's so That's hard. pretty good creative, by the way. Like that? That's, that, yeah, it's a pretty good headline. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I know you're excited because I'm excited, which is such a shock. <laughs> Today, I'm thrilled to have Melissa Hobley, CMO at OKCupid, joining us. Melissa, thanks so much for making time. Hey, thanks for having me. This will be fun. This is awesome. So let's start at the top for our audience who might not be as versed. We have a global audience here. So Tell us a little bit about who OKCupid is and then a bit about your journey to being a CMO. I love it. So, Robert, OKCupid is part of the online dating, dating app world. And some of your listeners may not know, you know, when OKCupid first came on the scene, we're 16 years old, you can believe that. So we're very good, very good at this. We're very good at finding you and your person. 16 years ago, it was us and maybe two or three other players. Yep. And there was a little bit of a stigma. You didn't really tell people if you were doing it. And you're like, oh, how'd you meet your person? Mm, you know, a friend, an algorithm. Uh, and now, I just saw a comedian <laughs> post, you know, something we love, which was, remember when you used to lie that you met online and now you lie if you met in real life because everybody meets <laughs> on a dating app. So... The dating app industry is huge because people use dating apps to find their person. An estimated 50% of marriages in the U.S. come from a dating app. Wow. If you're LGBTQ, 70% of LGBTQ relationships start on a dating app. And this is in our research. This is people wow. who are a lot smarter than me. And you can imagine why it's even more helpful for that kind of a group. And, you know, other things we're finding is that if you're a single parent, you are you know, something crazy, like 60% more likely to find your person if you're on a dating app. And the reasons for that are also kind of obvious, but I was just talking to a single mom who's a teacher this morning and, you know, you don't have time to get a babysitter every night and to be going to bars and and you don't have the energy for that. And a dating app enables you from your couch and your sweatpants, by the way, to talk to people and and find somebody you might have something in common with. So OkCupid is one of the biggest players. We're global. So my job is really fun, finding love around the world. We have millions of users everywhere from LA, New York, Chicago, Berlin, Paris, London, Dubai, Delhi, Jakarta, Hong Kong, Singapore, almost everywhere in the world, you can get on OkCupid and start talking to someone interesting. I started the company about three years ago. They had never really had a marketing team. They never had a CMO. Um, It's very hard to find a brand that's, you know, been around for 12 or 13 years without a marketing team. Yeah, that's true. It it was well past time. Yeah, it was well past time. (laughs) And it was amazing, though, bringing the brand to life in some really fun and provocative ways. We do stuff that makes people uncomfortable. We do stuff that's very intimate. We are a dating app, so I think we got to go there, right? Sure. If we do a good job, you're either getting married, you're getting laid, you're getting a makeout, you know, any one of those things. All kinds of outcomes, which is, you know, let's be clear, slightly more exciting than a hoodie and sweatpants on the couch. You know, it is like, and you taught my, I love giving advice on dating apps, by the way, and and dating. And I I get to do that on the Today Show and a few other places, which is really fun. But yeah, you do have to meet in person. You have to meet in person. So, you know, you can be on an app, 
but then don't let it go longer than two weeks before you get together because we do a great job teeing up yep. people, but we cannot tell you if there's chemistry. You have got to meet in person for that. So tell me a little bit about being a CMO. For as, as many different CMO jobs as there are in the universe, there's as many different approaches. What kind of CMO are you? Oh, love that question. I am a go big and get in the trenches at the same time. I am, mm. I am that kind of a CMO. What being a CMO at Cupid means is how do I take a brand that's been around a while and get your attention in a now very competitive space? We are part of match groups. So the good mm-hmm. thing is we, we own most of that space. Yep. It's like sibling rivalry, but it means... Don't worry, we're an agency. We're well-versed in sibling <laughs> rivalries, right? Holding companies have sibling rivalry nailed. If you need oh. any advice, let me know. That'll be the next podcast. Uh, perfect. Me getting some advice from you and all that. You know, so, so my job is really interesting because I get to think about in India where arranged marriage has been the way of mm. facilitating relationships for hundreds of years. How do I respectfully tell people there might be another way? And how do you navigate that? And how do you tell that story? And, and how do I do that in a place like Berlin, which is so sex positive and we're, we're very popular in Berlin. And, and mm. how do I say, hey, if you care about climate change, we're the only dating app that will use that as a component to match you. And if you don't care about how someone feels about climate change, that's okay too. You don't have to, you can ignore mm. that part of our filter. That's why this is the most fun job I have ever had because I get mm. to think about those things and think about what's going to make Jason talk to Samantha. What is actually a good fit for Jason versus what does he typically go for? And how do you tell those stories? And how do you talk about why OkCupid is a, is a great dating app to try? You know, and, and, and it all ladders up to this idea that we match on what matters. And and what matters to you changes a lot. So our app is a living and breathing thing. And that is why it's so cool to market it. And I'll give you a really quick example is, you know, we're obviously leaning into voting right now. And so you are able to filter people in OkCupid based on if they vote or not. And that's really cool. So reacting in real time. Just the sheer act of, are you going to vote is a filter. Yep. You know what? I bet right now that's a pretty powerful indicator because people who are like, I got to vote. It is an obligation. It's whatever, you know, is my moral expression of my right here as an American. I bet at this moment in time, there's a pretty steep cliff between those folks who are like, have to vote and those people like, eh. It will probably be the biggest deal breaker of 2020 and maybe one of the biggest deal breakers we have seen in the last few years. Dating apps biggest audience is always Gen Z and millennial because there are always more single people in their 20s yep. and early 30s, right? And this generation cares, especially right now, very much about exercising your right. We are nonpartisan. We do not go yep. one way or the other, but we reflect back the things people care about. And you are exactly right. It is the biggest deal breaker, we're, we're looking at that data right now, because every day it's becoming more and more interesting. So it's getting up there. Climate change yep. is another big one. So, you know, one of the things that I'm fascinated with when we sort of got connected a couple of weeks ago is this question of, so now we find ourselves in the most insane moment of the past hundred years. And it's insane for 20 different reasons, obviously the biggest of which is the pandemic. What are your customers telling you about this moment in time and how it's changing the way that you're trying to engage with them? 
I love that question. And I think what is so cool about working at a dating app like OkCupid is you know it. You can, I don't even have to ask. I can just Mm. look at the profiles because OkCupid is kind of known for, you have to answer these questions to be able to set up your profile. So that weeds out people that are just looking for ego boosts or or the gamification that some people do with, with dating apps. And we have more robust profiles. You can look at our profile and 99% of the time, an OkCupid profile compared to a profile in any other dating app is going to tell you a lot more about that person, what they're into, what they watch, what they listen to, what they like, what they might do in a weekend. And so we can see politics is an interesting one. After Trump was elected, political phrases jumped two or 300% on profiles just within that inauguration a few days and that's continued to climb. We yeah. can look at things like, you know, just the word voter and see how big that is. We can look at Black Lives Matter and see that, that our daters really cared about that. We were the the first dating app to roll out a Black Lives Matter badge. Imagine a bumper sticker that you put on your mm-hmm. profile. That's really important because you know if you live in a city, you don't have a house with a yard sign, you don't have a car where you're gonna put Trump yep. or Biden, whatever, you know, whoever your person is. So what they're telling us is the stakes are high, the issues they care about, and where eight or 10 years ago, the Gen Z millennial audience got a, a reputation for being shallow swipers and very appearance-driven, and it's hot or not, is now very, very different. And it is, I don't even want to match with you if you're not voting, you don't care about what's going on in the world. And that's a beautiful trend. And also by the way, that those are the foundations for a really healthy relationship. If you care about the same shit, you are sure. more likely to be happy and to be in a long, longer term relationship. Yeah. Caring about different shit, much more difficult. <laughs> so is social distancing good for business? Social distancing is good for business. It's good for dating up. <laughs> and why is that? People are desperate for human contact or people are reevaluating where they are in life or people are, or all of the above. Yeah. And I'm being a little bit cheeky. It is good and bad for business. It is good for business because you feel disconnected. You don't have all the touch points you had in your day, the coffee shop around the corner, the office, the security guard who lets you in every day that you like, Hey, how was the date last night? What's up? The gym, the dive bar, none of those things are in our orbit right now for, for many Americans still and people, all, you know, all over. And so the importance of social connection is, is major. And if you're single and you look back historically, what's happened during major events, 9-11 or other events after the initial impact of that other pandemics, other wars, yep. um, you see a spike in marriages right? And because we crave that connection and you might say, well, shit, this might happen again. I don't want to go through it alone. I'm going to actually stop making excuses or I'm going to start like getting serious about finding my person. The other thing is just a more obvious one, which is if you're 26 and you're not in the office, you, your boss is not looking over your shoulder and you can be on your dating app and you can be talking mm-hmm. to people. So that's good for business. What's bad for business is we still want people to be able to, to meet up and make out. And that's harder. And that's harder. Yep. But engagement yeah. is through the roof. It's through the roof. I would imagine. I would imagine. Let's transition a little bit into talking about marketing as a discipline. One of the things I, I love asking folks, especially clients and CMOs, because I think a lot of times we forget how broad 
creativity needs to be in the CMO role. Yeah, it applies to the 10% of your job that is the, you know, arts and motion picture department, but it really, you know, you have to have it across all the disciplines of marketing. How do you sort of foster and support and grow creativity in your team across any discipline, not just the folks that are making physical stimulus, but like the entire organization, you know, whether it's analytics or people doing program management or what have you? It's because it's so important, isn't it? I think the first thing you have to do is make people feel supported and encouraged. Mm. I had a really good discussion with one of my peers and said, I don't think you can be as as creative or unleash like all those cool thoughts if you feel micromanaged, if you don't feel encouraged, if you don't feel confident. And so I really strongly believe that you've got to start by making your team feel feel confident and encouraged and you've got this and just let's try it. And so I think, and you've got to be doing that on a daily basis and in interactions and even when things get a little bit tough, you know, it's, it's not unlike parenting, like you are in trouble, but I really care about you. (laughs) So I think you've got to start with that. And then you've got to unplug, you've got to stop the zooms. You've got to get out. You've got to look at, art and film and cool, weird graffiti artists that haven't been discovered and be inspired by stories and all of those things. You know, the, one of the nice things is at OkCupid, we are the most inclusive dating app. We have the most unbelievable goosebump-inducing, tear-jerking love stories all yeah. over the world. And so that gives us inspiration, what people overcome to find their person or what they've been through. And then they connect with someone and how that changes their life. And so you've got to get away from the like, oh, I've got to calculate the ROI of the latest <laughs> digital run. Yeah, you got to do that. But you, you, And you actually have to make time to unplug, to get away, to think big, to look what other people are doing and I mean, that's that. those are some of the ways in which we yep. try to do it, but I got to listen to your guests more to get some more tips. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. How do you and your team think about marrying performance and brand, right? There's a lot of discussion, particularly over the last three to five years of how marketing, you know, obviously it's infinitely more addressable and accountable than it's ever been. And yet, infinitely more important to find places where brands can drive strategic advantage and differentiation. Oftentimes those things are looked at as separate things. They aren't, but they do have different skills. And how do you try to sort of knit that together into a plan? Yeah. Oh God. I don't know that we figured it out. Well, I don't think anybody, no, nobody has. (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? Because you do want to try to marry them up and the more consistent you can be as a brand, the stronger you're going to be. So one of the first like easy things the easier things that we do is we try to think about them being connected. And when we're rolling out a new campaign and we do some really provocative advertising and we've got one now with, with mechanism, um, our creative partner. And what was awesome is that performed really well on the performance side. And you don't Mm -hmm. always see what really is your brand creative performing well. And I mean, driving, I'm, I live and breathe by how many people are downloading OkCupid every day. We're a free app, but I need you to come into my bar. But I, you know, I also think they are both necessary. Brand matters and brand's important. And just because you can't measure it as beautifully as you can performance does not mean that it's not going to deliver amazing things for you. And I think we're probably all having these discussions, right? If tell me a brand that 
is only doing, you know, kind of crappy performance ads. And I will tell you a brand that is not going to be here down mm-hmm. the road. You cannot build something that, that has value and that matters to people without, you know, the brand side and, and actually giving something a voice. What are you hearing people doing that, that you think is working in that space? <laughs> you know, we obviously have a set of agencies that in a lot of ways target different elements of a client need or at least a lead client need. But increasingly what we see, especially amongst our global clients, is whether you come in the door as performance-oriented moving toward brand or brand-oriented moving toward performance, if those are the two continuums in either direction, we increasingly see global brands moving in those directions. Yeah. So, yeah, you might have an originating homeroom because of the nature of your business, right? So if you're a CPG client, you know, you obviously have a set of disintermediation that, that makes some of the initial performance things slightly more difficult. So you might come at it from a brand or origin, but your curiosity and your desire over time is to bend that arc toward performance and extend into that side of the business. Yeah. Similarly, if you're a DTC right. company, you might come in through the performance lens, yeah. but you might then say, hey, I have a real need to build upon what assets that I've kind of, not accidentally, but very transactionally built as a performance-oriented DTC brand. And how do I turn that into an actual differentiating brand? Because, oh, I don't know, maybe margin needs to be improved. And so we see increasingly that whether you're on one end or the other, you're increasingly bending toward the other end to be more inclusive and more horizontal and thoughtful in in how you're looking at things. And I think that's really interesting. And I think how you structure, you know, on our end, agencies to meet that need and how you combine capabilities across the holding company or or whether you develop units within particular agencies to do those kinds of things, that's, that's our side of the challenge is making sure that we're answering a CMO's need and saying, look, no matter what original door you come through, we can connect you to the capabilities that are your next step or your next set of questions. But the big thing is that we increasingly see those questions being asked more frequently and earlier in the process, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. And that's really interesting. And it's great that you all are set up to do that because they're not the same skill set, right? And they're not. And I love it when people are like, I'm looking to hire someone who's like a real performance ninja and analytics brainiac and their PhD in performance marketing. And they've got to be so amazing on brand and like, <laughs> Um, unbelievable campaigns. And those two skill sets do not exist in in the same person. They do not. If you are analytically driven, there's nothing that would ever tell you to go do what we did with like our DTF campaign. The math would never tell you to do that, but it brought OkCupid back to life. And likewise, if you are unbelievable on the brand side and you can tell stories and get people in emotionally, you cannot be in a world that is driven by real-time detailed metrics. Those things are opposed. So it's great that you guys are set up to pass to the experts in the different fields because, you know, aligning and meeting up and that's where there's some magic. But the origins of that, the we're going to kill it, does not exist in a single, you know, in a single person or even in a small team. Yeah, and I, and I think that's right. I, I think, you know, the... Critical bits for us, if you know, we're being completely honest, is how do we drive that integration? And not simply integration yeah. within the client, but integration within the way of working and the frameworks that drive a connection between performance and brand. Yeah. And there are there are ways to do that, but it 
it takes thought and it takes, you have to sort of be incredibly focused on it. Arriving at that accidentally is, is highly unlikely. Happen. Right. Let me ask you a, a, another question. How do you, because this is a show called The Human Element in theory. And so how do you attempt to leverage human insights and connect them to the things that you do, either from a marketing perspective or within the product itself? Like how, how do you facilitate finding those insights and then making them matter in the work you do? Yeah, that's such a great question because you do actually have to make the time for those to happen. So mm. I'll tell you one little fun thing that we do pre-COVID is whenever we, if you were on a work trip, the first night or two of that trip, you were at a bar and you were buying drinks and you were talking about dating. That's what you were doing. We're going to call that qualitative research. Yeah, it was very, <laughs> it's very, very fancy science. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you just, talking to people, talking to people. Everybody wants to tell you about dating. Everybody wants to tell you about that. And and you start to collect things. So that's just like one small thing that we do. We have an incredible user researcher. I would keep it. Her name is Lindsay. And she is helping us every day understand why people do certain things when they're dating. And that really helps us to bridge how we're going to talk about it and bring you in the door and say, you know what, try, like give dating apps a try, give it a try. And here's like, you know, what's the biggest hurdle to get people to come in? And it, that differs by gender, it differs by your age, it differs by where you are in your life. If you're divorced, if you're a single parent, if you're 24, if you're in college in Ohio, it really differs. And, and knowing those human pieces are, are really important. You know, the other thing we do is because we can adapt the actual product experience and essentially create components to match you within five minutes. So you and while mm-hmm. you and I are talking, if something major happened in the world, I could drop in a question on OkCupid, you know, before we finish this interview and that becomes a matching element. So we also yep. obsessively look at what do, you know, what, what are people care about? What are they interested in? What are they talking about? And, and, you know, social makes that, that very, very easy we had daters getting in very big debates over the Kavanaugh hearings. And that became, that became a moment to connect on. But, you know, another really big moment that people connect on was the Game of Thrones final season. So it's not always heavy. It's often, often right. the lighter right. stuff, you know, right. who you're waiting for, for the Super Bowl. I don't care, yeah. but which commercial was the best, right? Like that, yeah. those, those are other human moments that become those icebreakers for you to uh, to start talking to somebody. And so are you constantly, and apologize, I obviously haven't <laughs> been near a dating app, well, frankly, ever. Are you constantly changing those matching questions? Yeah, we're constantly okay. adding to them. There are many that are static that will never leave. And then there are, we're adding new ones every day, yep. every week. And it depends on where you are in the world that we will answer that. And then that gives me the data from that because I have millions of users. What's what's awesome is it creates this marketing machine for me, right? So I can say, what are the three biggest deal breakers for women in city is under the age of 30. And how has that changed in the last year or, or since COVID, you know, I can drop in. I, we have a question right now. We have 25 million answers to COVID-related dating questions, right? So that's an important one, right? How are how are you dating during COVID? I I'm only on the apps. I'm doing videos. I'm meeting up. It's socially responsible, yep. and that's a really important thing because if you don't believe in meeting up with someone, but somebody else is like, no, we can go on a walk. 
That's really interesting, though. That's pretty cool. Tell me a little bit about how <laughs> the DTF campaign, is that what you call the campaign? Yes, it is. Okay. How did that come about? How did that become a good idea? It goes back to your question about that human insight, right? Human insights yep. are so important. I was at Walgreens for uh, several years. And one of the most powerful insights was we could not figure out why this one beauty area was down on sales. We could not, it bucked every, we looked at all the data and all the pivot tables and all the, you know, all the pie charts. Uh, and, and then we watched the security footage. And then we just stood in the store for like an hour and it was around Easter. And when you walked into a Walgreens, if you had a kid with you, the first thing they noticed was a giant inflatable bunny in the middle of the store. Mm-hmm. And that's why mom was not making it to get a lipstick. The kid was beelining for the inflatable bunny, which then led her to the candy, which then led her to. So anyway, it, you know, the, the importance of that human element is, I, I, um, and oh, did you like that? I just used no, I, it, What I loved is that it wasn't intentional. It wasn't that intentional. Was really I was totally... Yeah. So anyway, I care deeply about the human element, that human insight. And so with DTF, one of the insights was dating sucks. We get it. We get it. And so what are the things about dating that suck? Well, if you're a young woman, one of the things that sucks about it is this label. And DTF is a derogatory label that guys use with other guys. The girl has no say in that. And so the insight was women hate that label. And it's, it's tied to this idea that like this label of a girl is a slut and that whole territory, which is such yep. bullshit. And so what if we co-opted that? And what if we changed the meaning of DTF and make it the F is whatever the F you want it to be. And Wyden was our partner in that campaign and Rizio Catalan shot it. And it is one of the coolest pieces of work I've done, but we had, you know, many, many, many versions of the F down to finish my novel because so many people are working on a side hustle and a book yep. writing, right? Down to fight about the president. So I don't need your politics to agree with mine, but I need you to debate. And like the turn on is the debate, right? <laughs> Down to fire up the kiln because so many people have like, I don't know, a pottery store on Etsy, you know? And and then they go, you know, they go to their job at Carrot and they, you know, fire up the kiln and they get home. Down to fall head over heels was, you know, the most the most popular yep. one that people talked about. And it's beautiful, same-sex female couple. And Yeah, it's a really cool campaign. It's very cool. Thank you for sharing that. So let's change real quick. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks on this pod. What should platforms be doing to combat hate speech and to protect brands and customers? Like, what are their obligations? It's easy to say everything they can. I mean, you know, it's hard because we take this stuff very seriously and it is, it, we have been doing this a long time. So we do a pretty good job of empowering our users to report anything they see. We have a zero tolerance policy, but it's it clearly not enough is being done in other ecosystems and on other platforms. It's a difficult time because... So there's so much at stake and there's a lot happening right now. And and at OKCupid, we fully support the Black Lives Matter movement and the reckoning that that is. And how do you how do you figure out the small ways to make sure there isn't bad behavior and it's happening and you're addressing it? You know, one of my the first moments I had at OKCupid was right after the the Charlottesville white supremacy mm-hmm. rally. And I had only been at the company maybe a month or two if that, and we found out one of the organizers on OkCupid on Monday morning. 
because Vice had aired a special. So you could see his picture and a girl reached out to us and said, hey, that guy, you know, and and it looked to be true. And we quickly tweeted, uh, you know, we have a zero tolerance. He's blacklisted for life. And we didn't even think that was a very big deal. But at the time, Trump had not condemned that behavior. As it turns out, that never happened. That never happened. It never happened. There was a, a such a hunger for, it's not controversial to say that racism is bad. And and that actually began the comeback of OK Cupid. That moment began our comeback. And it was not intentional. We did not, we were not even trying to be exploitive about it. I think at the time our Twitter had 400 followers. Seriously, like your cat had more followers than our Twitter. And, and you know, by the end of the day, we had a, you know, 150,000 likes and like, you know, three New York Times yep. stories and every late night. Anyway, so I think you have to put your money where your mouth is. You have to insert yourself in the conversation, but you also have to say, we are going to do what we can to to support the movement. And we know we're not done. And every day we have to think about this. And and every day we think about making tech more diverse, not just with more women, but with our Black colleagues. And so we're, you know, I think we just have to be very humble about it. So in this moment, you know, we're 74 days from an election. Everybody's going to have, no matter what your category is, no matter what your, you know, brand is, no matter how you have planned or how you have not planned or how you are flexible or how you are not flexible. None of those things are about to matter. What advice have you been taking on board? What advice would you offer to other marketers about how to handle these next 74 days? Because it's going to be flat out bananas. Bananas, just bananas, right? My advice would be, who are the people on your team that are going to help you understand what the temperature is, who are the people that are going to be really honest with you about that. Uh, it's so important, right? That we surround ourselves, no matter where, if you're at a big agency or small agency, if you're yep. brand, that you are around people that are going to be honest with you and you encourage that honesty, brutal honesty. You know, can we go there? Can we do this? Is this feel hollow? And then have a game plan and be prepared to throw it out the window. <laughs> Uh, you know, often, 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 and early and often, early and often and have partners and great agency partners and great people around you that are going to enable you to iterate and pivot and don't be precious about the, the plan, be precious about the people you're serving and the brand that you're representing. What gives you the most reason for hope? My kids, my kids, but, but I, I, you know, the, the small, the, those small kind acts that you see every day, that really is what makes me very moved right now. When a friend just posted about being in a restaurant in New York City and a man approached the, the owner asking for some rice and she's prepared for him to be kicked out and a bit of a scene and he leaves the restaurant, leaves the, the outside area comes back out with like three bags of food. And like, it's those little moments and says like, and Jean, she talked to him afterwards. And so I I think it's those little moments that that's what's giving me hope right now. There Mm -hmm. is a lot of kindness out there. There is a lot of, I'm in the business of love. I'm lucky that I get to hear those stories and see that. So that's giving me a lot of hope right now. All right, you've made it to the last section. You ready? This is called the lightning round. We didn't come up with the title, but we stole it. Either way. So this is in theory, short answers to short questions. Although you know me well enough to know by now, these are not, 
Uh, I'm not very good with the short questions. I'm not good uh, with the short, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Best piece of content recently consumed? Could be anything. Netflix series, book. Oh, the Rural Diaries by Hillary Burton Morgan, who's married to the bad guy from Walking Dead, and she's an ex One Tree Hill star. And I also used to be her publicist back in the day. And she is just a gem of a human being. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's called The Rural Diaries. Amazing. Really? Amazing, amazing, amazing book. Amazing. Unbelievable. Leaves Hollywood to go live in Rhinebeck and start a farm with the bat with Jeffrey D. Morgan. And it's, it's just unbelievable. And she has completely saved the town of Rhinebeck, which is a very special town. What she has done is a study in you know, she had this high flying career. And I, I know because I was there for part of it early in my career as a publicist and, and she wasn't fulfilled. And so it's a beautiful narrative of what it means to pay attention to when something isn't fulfilled. I know you have people listen to that are very successful, super smart, and they end up being the wrong thing. And the courage to like walk away from some of that and then finding her path. And, and CBS This Morning did a huge profile on her just this weekend about how she has helped save these small businesses and how important these small businesses are to our community. And anyway, it's an incredible, she's an incredible human. The book is incredible. You got to read it. All right. I'm all over that. I'm all over that. Most enjoyable personal moment of the past, you know, 150 days of quarantine. It's a plural answer, which is all the moments I get with my kids. Kids. Uh, you know, I'll do this podcast. I'll go say hi. I'll come back. I'll do it. You know, uh, it's it's getting the time with your kids. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so these are precious, precious times. So you don't need me to tell you how amazing those ages are. But. Uh, best piece of advice you've either given or received? One of the best pieces of advice I've received is people got to like working with you. <laughs> you know what? That's a really good one. If you're an asshole, no, people will not hire you and they won't seek you out. You know, it's actually very basic, but people forget it. And, and so, you know, a lot of our jobs in marketing are, are we're working with some big egos. And so how do you make people feel when you're around them is an important ingredient to success. And we forget that. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's one of my favorite answers to that question. I, and I think it's because you're right. There are, a variety of egos in and around our industry. And I won't get into any of those details, but let's just say there are. And that's true of the client side environment. That's true of the agency side. Like it's just a truth. And no matter the level you get to, whatever that means, like consciously not being a part of that issue is I think really important. Like making sure that you are not part of the problem. Yes. Thing people should know about you, but they don't. I'm from Muncie, Indiana. I am. A, I was born and raised and spent my whole childhood in Indiana and moved to New York as an 18-year-old, fresh in high school, to go to college. Now, did you make that decision sight unseen, or had you been? Had you visited? I had visited. Okay. I had visited. I wanted to get out of of Indiana. I got to college, and then I could like appreciate what that upbringing was, and sure. And, and all that, but yeah. So I'm a small town kid myself. I'm from Hershey, Pennsylvania. We make a little chocolate there. I've heard, I think <laughs> I've heard. Do you remember the first time you went to New York? I do remember the first time I went to New York and I was, you know, I was romanced. I was sold. Yeah. Obviously it's an extremely difficult time in New York and I suspect it's going to continue for a material period of time. 
but it is, uh, you know, you're, you're in the business of love of, as you self acknowledged earlier, I have few love affairs in my life deeper than my love of, of Manhattan. So I, I wish the best. I'm for Manhattan. so with you. I'm so with you. And I miss it. New York was my first true love. I'm with you. Yeah. And I miss it. Been a uh, 170 days, whatever the hell it's been. And it's crazy to me that I haven't set foot on the Island of Manhattan since March 10th. That's nuts. That's nuts. That is yeah. crazy. She'll Melissa, be back. You are an absolute dream. Thank you so much for doing this. You were fantastic. Robert, you're amazing. I just seriously now, and now I get to ask you, like, I want <laughs> your life advice. Seriously. I, I mean, I've got some stuff to share, but I want to hear your advice. <laughs> Well, you can call me anytime for life advice. I give it out for free. That's amazing. Do I have to pay the carrot fees? No, 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 no. You're, you're good. I'm off the clock for, for any of that advice. All we need to do is agree to this. Would you come back? A thousand percent. All right. Love it. We'll have you back. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Human Element. Remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods. Please do subscribe. Give us a like. Send us a comment. We love those. We will be back out to you real soon. Be well and be just. Thanks so much.